My name is Christian Kokerscheid. Yes, I didn't uh, just sneeze. That's my name. K-O-C-H-E-R-S-C-H-E-I-D-T. I used to live in South Carolina, and when I introduced myself, people would say, bless you. <laughs> yep. I am one of the teaching pastors here, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning in the White Box. haven't been in here for a while, so it's great to be with you. If you're visiting with us, if this is your first time or second time, and you don't understand what the White Box and the Red Box is, we have two auditoriums. This one we call the White Box. Across the parking lot, just back here, we have the Red Box, and we have live services in both at 9.30 and 11.30 with live speaker and live bands. Um, we, uh, we need to do that to fit everybody in. So if you're new here, check both out. See which one suits you better. But we are glad to have you here this morning. We just saw that video on, on names and names of God and the meaning of names. And names, there's power in names, isn't there? It's, it's nice to be recognized by your name. Isn't it? I remember when I first moved to the States, to South Carolina for college, and uh, you know, came to, to South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia Bible College, didn't know anybody there. And I remember walking on campus for the first time, and the dean of students there, his name was Dr. Brian Beyer. I will never forget that name. He made it a point every year to learn all the names of the incoming freshmen or new students. This is a school of maybe... 2,500, 3,000 students. So there were several hundred new students coming every semester, and he would look at their applications, their pictures, and learn all of their names. And I remember running into Dr. Brian Beyer the first day on campus, and he says, hey, Christian, so good to have you. And I was like, do I know you? <laughs> he says, no, but I know you. And it was just, there was something special about being in a new place, expecting to know nobody and be recognized by my name. There's power in names. There's, there's um, power in giving names. And um, recently we've had a slew of pretty crazy celebrity names. Have you uh, paid any attention to that? No? There's, I found a great website, very helpful website for sermon illustrations. It's called cracked.com. Uh, very informative. And they had a list of the most recent craziest celebrity kids' names. All right, hold on. Um, Nicholas Cage named one of his children. I, I can't determine if this is male or female name, female. But the child's name is Cal Al. Cal Al. Jason Lee, an actor, named his I hope son Pilot Inspector. Uh, here, this is good. Uh, the musician Bob Geldof named uh, I believe his daughter Fifi Trixie Bell. All right. So maybe I'm giving you ideas. Now, those names make Gwyneth Paltrow's daughter, Apple, sound normal. Um, Sylvester Stallone has a child called Sage. That's normal. Moonblood. Sage Moonblood. Uh, Frank Zapper. Two kids. One's called Moon Unit and the other one, Diva Thin Muffin. He must have been at Starbucks or something when he came up with that. Um, and then Jermaine Jackson has a son. And this probably tells us a lot about Jermaine Jackson. He has a son called Your Majesty. Yes, Your Majesty. Um, if you're expecting, there's some ideas for you. So we have crazy kids' names, but then we also have celebrities changing their names, right? Maybe you're familiar with the, the football player Chad, formerly known as Johnson, who renamed himself by his jersey number in Spanish, Ocho Cinco. And now he, he goes by Chad Ochocinco. Um, then we had a, a basketball player recently, Ron Artest, rename himself to Meta World Peace. 
And obviously they, they want to send a message uh, with giving themselves these names. Most, most well-known maybe is the musician formerly at some point known as Prince, who then gave himself a name that wasn't really a name. He was kind of called the symbol, but that wasn't really his intent. He just invented this symbol to give himself a name that would be undescriptive. So he couldn't be defined. So obviously names mean something to us. And people who change their names do that with a purpose in mind and a message they want to convey. Do you know your, your name's meaning? Pretty much every name has a meaning. Do you know what your name means? You got a name tag when you came in. Kind of a churchy thing to do for K2. But um, if you haven't written anything on it yet, which I hope you haven't, if you know your name's meaning... Write the meaning of your name on that. Put it on. If you don't know it, just put your name on it and introduce yourself briefly, would you? To a couple of people around you, just get up, introduce yourself by your name or maybe what your name means. Would you take a couple of minutes to do that, please? Great. That looked like fun. Here are some of the most popular names we have around here. Half our staff is called David, and David means beloved. If your name is Michael, that's really cool. Anybody know what Michael means? It means like God. Wow, that's, that's a heavy burden to carry. Um, Jeff means divinely peaceful. It's interesting that a lot of names have religious, a religious background. Stephen means the crowned one. If your name is Susan, it means lily, the flower lily. Mary means bitter. Jill means girl or sweetheart. And Christian, my name, means follower of Christ. How cool is that? Yes. That is my name, by name, by nature. See, it used to be in most cultures that names were given for meaning. That parents would choose a name based on maybe their hopes for the child. In some cultures, they would wait to give a name until they could actually use a name that would be descriptive of the child's personality and character. Now, mostly that has shifted. Now, I know there's still some, many, several of you who, who might choose a name based on, on meaning and what it stands for. Uh, sometimes we name people after other people, after relatives, after a father or grandfather, or after celebrities. This last year, you know what the most popular male and female name was? William and Kate. Surprise, surprise, after the, the royal couple. So we do that. And then some people just very superficially simply name their children for sound or by the first letter of their name, like us. Our children are called Clara, Casey, Kenny, Cameron, Kobe, and our dogs are Kipper and Cookie, all with a K. All right. Um, now, when we, uh, when we decided to adopt Kobe, his name wasn't Kobe. His, name, his given name, he was two years old, was actually Jake Broderick. And um, Jake, his first, and Broderick, his last name. And we knew in bringing him into our family, we wanted to include him into the K-Club. And so we were brainstorming at the table um, with our three children at the time and said, okay, it's got to be a K and it's got to be short. And now... Let me just uh, remind you, I'm German, my wife is French, we have very little American cultural background, okay? Um, and so at that point, my then nine-year-old Kenny pipes up, Daddy, I got a great name for our soon-to-be two-year-old African-American boy. He said, what about Cracker? <laughs> and I knew enough uh, to know, <laughs> I knew enough to know that having an African-American boy in Salt Lake City called Cracker would not fly. Right? It, it would have given a whole new meaning to uh, the meaning of names. Um, so we went with Kobe. 
And finding out later that obviously Jake, which we made his middle name, came from Jacob, and Kobe also comes from Jacoby. So his name, both his first and middle name, comes from the name, name Jacob, which is, which is kind of cool. But so that's what we do with names. We find in the Bible, when we, when we turn to the Bible, we find that, that names have deep, deep meaning. That names were given uh, with deep meaning. In Jewish culture, actually, boys were initially called Ben and then the name of the father. So my children in their culture would have been called Ben Christian, meaning son of Christian. And a lot of scholars think that, that actual names weren't given until later un- so that the name could really be descriptive of the child. We see names in the Bible uh, with deep meaning. Moses, for example, was not named Moses by his birth mother, but by the daughter of Pharaoh who found him. And Moses means saved from the water. That's how Moses got his name. When, when Jesus is introduced in the Old Testament prophecy, he's called Emmanuel, prophetically meaning God with us. And then we have um, other characters. We have uh, Peter, the, the apostle, the, the disciple Peter, wasn't named Peter at birth. His name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, meaning rock. And later he told him, you are the rock that I will build my church on. God gave names to people in the Bible. He changed names of people. There was a man called Abram who, who became the father of the Jewish nation. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And then we have the character Jacob, who at some point wrestled with God, literally wrestling with God for his touch in his life. And God renames him Israel, which means God wrestler. So God, in, in scriptures as, as we have it, changes people's names. Names have meaning to God. And so in light of that, we want to look at in the next three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, at the names of God in the Bible. How does God identify, reveal, call himself? Because we find in the Bible that names often become a program for that person. And so we will look at, at God and at what he is called at, what he's called in the Bible over the next three weeks. And today we're going to look at, hello, my name is Yahweh. But before we do that, I would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for the honor and privilege it is to be here this morning. Thank you for the freedom we have to come together here, to listen to your word, to hear from you, to worship you to be with each other. And I just pray that, that you would bless our time, Lord. You, we already know from your word that you're right here with us. And Lord, as we look at how you have revealed yourself to us, how you have identified yourself, I just pray, Lord, that this morning, more than anything else, we would just see you for who you are. Lord, that I would not share my thoughts about you, but that you would share your thoughts with you. Would you just visit with us this morning, Lord, and let us see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. How did God introduce himself? He introduced himself early on in the Bible. The Bible is, is one of the two major ways that God has chosen to reveal to us, humanity, to the world, who he is. The second major part is creation. 
just seeing creation in Romans, it tells us that just by looking at creation, we can know that there is an all-powerful and loving God. But he's also given us his word, and in his word introduces himself and, and his son, Jesus. And in the first five books of the Bible, Moses shares initially the creation story and then how God revealed himself throughout history and throughout history with his people, the nation of Israel. And it's in Exodus 3, 14, that God for the first time introduces himself by name. And it's in the context of Moses being, Moses has already fled Egypt. We've, we've gone over that uh, uh, several months back. Moses grew up in Egypt as a Jew, but he grew up in the household of Pharaoh as an adopted child. He, he took on the cause of the Israelites who were enslaved, and in the process he killed a Roman, uh, uh, an Egyptian guard and had to flee. And so he's out in the desert for over 40 years. And at some point, God calls him while he's tending to his sheep. And he calls him to himself, and there's a burning bush. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story many times. And Moses comes to this burning bush that's burning but not being consumed. And God calls Moses to be his speaker, his spokesman, and his leader to lead his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, we should call them the Hebrews, out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses is, is fighting the idea. And, and then somebody says, now, what am I going to tell the people? What am I going to tell them who sent me? Who are you? And this is what God says in, in Exodus three fourteen. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That is how God revealed himself first. Now the word I am in Hebrew was written something like this, Y-H-W-H. Now, here's my grammar. They're all consonants, no vowels. And so this is how God, whenever you read in your, script, in your Bible, when you open your Bible and it says Lord or God, usually it's all in caps, L-O-R-D in caps or G-O-D in caps. When you see that in your Bible, this is what it would have said in the original. This stands for Lord or God. Now, we don't know exactly how this was pronounced. First of all, because the, the vowels are missing. But we don't know why, how it was pronounced because shortly after Jesus' life, the Jews stopped pronouncing this name entirely. And they stopped pronouncing this name out of fear to take God's name in vain. And because so about 2,000 years ago, they stopped pronouncing it, we, we literally don't know exactly how it's pronounced. There's two ways that we usually pronounce it now. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. But we really don't know if, if that's correct. But it doesn't, doesn't really matter. This is the name that God identified himself with, meaning I am who I am. When, when you go to Israel today, and by the way, in January of next year, we will take a trip uh, to Israel. I know I've talked about it for a while. We'll get the details planned soon, but we will go to Israel. And when you go there, when you go to where the temple was, which is now called the Wailing Wall, the last wall that's existing, and you see Orthodox Jews are just praying there with, with Scripture, and they will face the wall, and they will be reading, and they'll be doing this all the time. They're doing that because they're reading, and whenever the name Yahweh, I am, comes up, they won't say it, but they will bow in reverence. 
And so when you see them reading scripture every time, that's a bow of respect and reverence without pronouncing the name out of fear to, to speak it in vain. God introduced himself as I am. I am who I am. I am indefinable by you. What he's saying is, I'm indefinable by you, but I am all self-defining. I am who I am going to be. You can't put me in a box. I will not fit into your neatly, neat, neat categories and into your boxes of thinking. What he's saying is, I will not be limited by your rationalism. I'm going to be who I am going to be. I always have been. I am, and I always will be. And this I am is not a static, this is, this is how I'm defined, and this is how I'm always going to be. This I am is a, is a very dynamic I am that, that evolves and, and is, again, self-defined. God defines who he is and how he's going to express himself. There's a couple of aspects that I want to look at with you this morning. And the first one is that Yahweh is incomprehensible, and indescribable. That's really what it means. I am who I am. I am indescribable and incomprehensible. What he's saying is I can't be captured in a phrase. I, I can't be summarized in a word. He will not fit in the box of our rationality. And in our culture and in our enlightened civilization today, we make God to be something that we can grasp, that we can comprehend, and, and we make him look a lot like us don't we? I know we, we use this phrase a lot. Rather than God having made us in his image, we begin to make God in our image. We minimize him and, and he becomes our body. He almost becomes a peer, a bite-sized God, one that we can understand and comprehend and, and put into a drawer and pull out when we need him. And so we categorize him, we make him something we can comprehend. And then when he acts in ways that don't fit our way of thinking in our categories, in our boxes, we begin doubting him. Because he is incomprehensible and will not be defined by you or by me. He will define himself. All the cultures around the, the Hebrew nation at the time, whether that be the Egyptians or later the Romans and the Greeks, all of them had religious systems where they had created little gods for every aspect of life. Right? So there was a God for the harvest, and there was a God for love, and there was a God, God for war, and a God of the sun, and a God for this, and a God for traveling. See, what, what they were doing is they were looking at their culture and they created little gods that would reflect their society and their culture. And what God is saying here is, I am not a God who reflects my creation. My creation reflects me. God defines himself. He will not be defined by his creation He's not the God of the sun. He shaped the sun. He's not the God of the harvest or of, of love. He's, he's made it all. And his name says, I am too big to contain. And I'm too vast to explain. I am too big to be contained. And I'm too vast to be explained. I love how Chris Tomlin put that in the song Indescribable. I love that song. I don't think we're singing it today, 
But I want to go through these lyrics with you. He says, From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea, creation revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring, every creature unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All-powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, you are amazing, God. Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? Or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow? Who imagined the sun and gives source to its light, yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night? None can fathom, indescribable, uncontainable. Indescribable, uncontainable. That is what Yahweh means. I am who I am. I am who I'm going to be. Indescribable, uncontainable, and untamable. Because of that, because of God's indescribable nature of God, what the Jews did is they started adding descriptive names to his name, Yahweh or Jehovah, to, to begin capturing all the aspects of God. And there's, there's tons and tons of them. I just want to share a few of them with you. One of the names they gave him was Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. Another one is Jehovah Shalom. God is my peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present with me. And then Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. See, they came up with, with lots and lots of names for him because one just couldn't describe him. He couldn't be contained and described and categorized. He can't be captured in a phrase or summarized in a word. He will not fit in a box of our rationality. And I love how Job 26, I want to read it to you, and I left my Bible here on a chair, so let me grab it. I want to read Job 26 um, to you. Love how he describes God in here or begins to describe God. If you have your Bibles, open it up with me. It will not be on the screen. It's Job 26, verses 7 through 14. Listen to this. He spreads, he, God, spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. Verse 13, by his breath the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. At, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power. Love that last verse. And these are but the outer fringe of his works. He says what we see is just, it's just the surface of what God has done and who he is. How faint the whisper we hear from of him. 
Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Yahweh is indescribable, uncontainable, and untamable. And Yahweh also deserves our honor and our reverence. That's the other aspect of, of this name. There's really three attitudes that were expressed with this name, Yahweh, and how, how the Jews used it. Psalm 22, verse 23 summarizes those greatly. Let's read that together. Psalm 22, verse 23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise him or worship him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. There's really three, three aspects, three responses to Yahweh that the psalmist is talking about here. First is fear. The second is worship. And the third is honor. And I want to start with fear really briefly. We talked about that several weeks ago. And I know it, it was really new to a lot of you. There's a psalm, um, 111 verse 10 says, The beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of of all wisdom the fear of the lord is the beginning of all wisdom and oftentimes that fear of god has been expl exp explained by well a, a respect and honor of god but as we saw that sunday when when you look at people in scripture who actually encountered the presence of the living god there's more than honor and respect there There is there's literally a fear for their life. If you look at, at Moses, for example, when he is invited by God up on the mountain, and God says, now I'm going to pass by, but you've got to turn around, and all you can see is, is the back of my hem, the hem of my, my, my robe. Anything more you can't, you can't exist in. When we see God, uh, God's representatives in the New Testament come to Mary or to Joseph, there is, there is fear for life. And there is fear of God because there is a realization that imperfection cannot exist and stand the presence of a holy God. So the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because only if we come to the realization, you and me, that that our sinful nature cannot coexist with a loving and holy God. Only then do we realize that we are in need of repentance. That's why the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, because the fear of God leads us to the realization, I cannot exist in God's presence unless my sin is dealt with. And that's why God sent Jesus And that's why once we have Jesus and have received his forgiveness and grace, then we don't need to fear God anymore. And we, we transition into a childhood, a child-father-child relationship with him. That's why it is so remarkable how Jesus identifies himself in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, John, uh, Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders as to his authority. They say, but what authority are you doing the things you do? What authority do you have to say the things you do, to challenge us the way you do? And, and they start talking about Abraham, and Abraham is one of the most revered figures in Jewish history, the prophet, the father of their nation. And at some point, Jesus says, you know, when I was born, Abraham rejoiced. 
And they're like, oh, well, wait. See, they had God in a box. They're like, how does that work? You're a young man. Abraham lived thousands of years ago. How could, you, how could Abraham have rejoiced over your birth? And then Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. What Jesus was doing there is he was identifying himself with the God who identified himself to Moses. What Jesus was doing there very clearly was this, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And they picked up stones to kill him because that was blasphemy. And in the end, that's what Jesus was executed for, for claiming to be Yahweh. See, the fear of Yahweh leads us to Yahweh, Jesus, to receive forgiveness for our sin to be dealt with that keeps us from being able to exist in God's presence. And Jesus leads us into that relationship where we don't need to fear anymore but where we can exist in his presence for eternity. But it begins with the fear of God, and that's partly what this name expresses. It's a fear of God. That's why they stop pronouncing it out of a fear of, of using God's name in vain. The second um, attitude expressed here in this Psalm 22 is, is honor. Actually, it's the third, but I want to talk about it second. It's the, the honoring God. Yahweh, the name Yahweh and how it was used by the Jews showed in itself a, a deep, deep respect and reverence for God and it was an expression of honoring Him. That's why, again, they don't pronounce it to this day to honor Him. And maybe, maybe that's taken it a little bit too far. But maybe we, in our culture, we have swung that pendulum totally the other way where we have become so casual with God, where he's, we, we have demoted him to appear. We have to remember, he is God. He is Yahweh. He is who he's going to be. And sometimes we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around and humbling ourselves to, to honoring God. Sometimes we even see it as pretentious. Why would he expect us to, to honor him? Because he's God. He's Yahweh. And we do this in, in our daily life all the time. Don't we honor people all the time? We honor people for their accomplishments, for their gifts and talents that they can do nothing about, really. We honor people for their heroics. And we honor people for their position of authority, don't we? We do that all the time. We roll out the red carpet. We're talking about God. We're talking about Yahweh. I am who I am. And he deserves our honor and respect. He has created everything. Everything comes from him and everything is for him. He is Yahweh. And thirdly, in this passage in, in Psalm 22, we see it says, those who fear the Lord praise him, worship him. God, Yahweh, deserves our worship. He deserves your and my 
worship. If he is, if God is who he says he is in Scripture, if he is Yahweh, if he is creator, if he is almighty, all-powerful, if he is our final judge, if he is our provider, the source of everything you and I have, if he is the unchanging God, that the Bible introduces to us, then he deserves our worship. He is Yahweh. He's creator. He's almighty. He's provider. He's healer. He's savior. He's Lord of all, and yet he loves you and me personally, deeply, and intimately enough to give his only son so that you and I don't need to fear anymore but can enter into a personal relationship with Yahweh and live with him eternally. His name is Yahweh and we want to worship him this morning. And as we do this, I want to lead us into this worship by ending a little different I can share my thoughts as long as I want to. What I want to share with you over the next few minutes is God's thoughts about himself. I'm just going to be reading scripture, straight from scripture. It's not necessarily chronologically. I'm not even going to give you the references, but it's also going to be on the screen. And I just pray. Hebrew says that God's word is living and active. And I just want God's word to speak for itself into your heart. So whether you want to read along on the screen or just close your eyes and just, just allow God to reveal himself to you this morning as we prepare to worship him. God said to Moses, I am who I am. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them O sovereign Lord you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do for the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. For the Lord your God is God of all gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. The eternal God is your refuge. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, 
the Son of Man, that you care for him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars and puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Oh, my strength, I watch for you. Oh, God, on my fortress, my loving God, God will go before me. My salvation and my honor depends on God. He's my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Among the gods, there's none like you, O oh Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O oh Lord. They will bring, bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. But the Lord has come, become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. O oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with garments. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. And he lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers. Flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding 
stretched out the heavens. And Jesus said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker.